AgTech360 discusses breakthrough technologies that are impacting growers, businesses, and consumers. Hear from industry and academic experts about what's on the horizon. Hi, I'm your host, Adrian Percy, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Plant Sciences Initiative. And today we're going to talk about Christmas trees at a very opportune time of year. So North Carolina produces over 20% of the nation's Christmas trees. In fact, the trees here are so popular, even the National Christmas Tree Association selected one from NC to go to the White House again this year, marking the 15th time a North Carolina tree has been selected. So here to talk to us about how we can continue to grow such amazing evergreens in our state is Justin Whitehill. He is assistant professor at North Carolina State University, the tree genetics program lead. He's in the Department of Forestry, and uh, he's also the co-director of the Forest Biotechnology Group. He's truly an expert in this field, and I'm very excited and delighted to have him on the pod. So welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. How did you get into Christmas trees? What, what is your story? Yeah, that's a great question. So I didn't obviously start out thinking I was going to become the Christmas tree geneticist for NC State, but sort of my path, I guess, led to that. So I, I would say my path has not been direct. So I came from a very small town in rural Ohio, uh, which was surrounded by lots of corn and soybeans. So growing up there, my parents were both science and art teachers for high school. So I sort of growing up had was drawn to both areas. And so I actually studied piano, music, was piano performance major um, in my undergrad. And I also was a, a dual major with biology. And so I sort of focused on these two areas growing up. And the question that always kind of plagued me is, you know, what is biology? What is life? Where does, how do all these things big questions. fit together? Big questions. <laughs> yeah, big questions. But it's kind of always driven me, especially like how things evolve and how things relate which sort of led me to genetics eventually. And in one year growing up, we actually got a real Christmas tree, and that's something we always hearken back to. And my family um, was the, the year that we got that tree, the aroma that the tree had, which is something we still discuss. And, you know, as I've gotten through this over time, I've realized, you know, how that actually came, how those aromas come to be. I had an interest in fungi and insects and trees, and so that eventually led me to the the area of forest pathology, where I worked on different pests and pathogens. It was really kind of a perfect fit for me because it allowed me to kind of bring all of those aspects together and, and really led me to the current path that I'm on. I, I wanted to start off with a question because I've seen very recently, because I was up uh, at uh, the research station where you work out of uh, last week um, and saw how Christmas trees were produced and understood a lot better and some of these things that you've just alluded to around aroma and other things I guess we'll get into. But I'm not sure if this is a controversial question, but do you consider Christmas tree production to be agriculture or forestry? Yeah, so this is a question that I sort of mulled over when I was first hired and trying to stick Christmas tree production into one of these categories. But there's some faculty that um, have retired from uh, the department and they considered kind of Christmas trees to fall into both categories. So they could, Christmas trees could be a short rotation woody crop, kind of like a forestry species, or they could be a long, rotate, long rotation, high, um, kind of moderately intensive agricultural crop. I kind of consider them a blend of both. Um, NC, it also really depends on the region where the trees are being produced. So North Carolina, of course, has a very strong agricultural um, kind of history here. Um, in North Carolina, where the trees are produced in the western part of the state, uh, a lot of the producers out there were originally burly leaf tobacco producers. As tobacco sort of fell out of fashion, uh, they needed a new crop, and it happened to be that Fraser fir grew out 
in the western part of the state very well, and so they adopted a lot of those practices to the production of Christmas trees. But if you move to other parts of the country, around the Great Lakes, they typically have more uh, practices in line with forestry production. So. so tell me a little bit about the, the Christmas tree genetics program. Who's involved and and how do those kind of interactions with these different stakeholders kind of work? So my program, uh, the Christmas Tree Genetics Program, I'm an assistant professor and I, I direct that program. Um, overall, the program, it's really a historical program in the Department of Forestry and Environmental Resources and the College of Natural Resources at NC State. Um, it's over a 40-year program. It was actually started in the late 1970s, early 80s by a, our kind of um, shadow director at the time is Dr. J.B. Jett, who was the uh, research associate dean of research for the College of Natural Resources. But a lot of the original work was bootlegged off of other research programs until the state actually came up with funds to support a full-time Christmas tree geneticist in the middle mid part of the 90s. And so my predecessor took over the program in the mid-90s. Uh, but the tree breeding work and genetic improvement work has been going on for almost four decades now. So we're really kind of building off of that momentum. 44 years of momentum, but with uh, trees, it's often very long timelines. Yeah, I think that's something for, to really get your head around, right? This is not a, this is not a crop that is growing in, in in months or a season. This is this is a multi-year endeavor by any Christmas tree operator, and uh, it, it can be a long time before you get your first crop, I guess, if you if you get into this business. It is, yeah, and that's really the challenge I think a lot of folks are having at the moment is trying to come up with you know, the initial capital to get into the industry. I think a lot of the, of, uh, of growers are having that challenge at the moment. So through your program, are your primary external stakeholders the growers themselves or are there other organizations that you work through? The stakeholders are ultimately the growers in the state, um, which we re really try to help educate and also um, are in the process of trying to supply them with some, some genetically improved materials so um, they can uh, deal with some of the challenges they're facing. I understand you've been involved in sequencing the, I, I guess, the Fraser fir yeah, genome, correct, yeah. and I understand you're using genomic selection to, you know, select for 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 better trees for various traits. Can you talk a little bit about what that means, maybe for the uninitiated, and how you're using uh, these these technologies to to improve trees, uh, whether it's for um, consumer facing or grower. Uh, agronomic traits? Um, I guess the first place to start would be to define what genomics actually is. It's kind of a term that we throw out a lot. So um, it's really an interdisciplinary field of biology that focuses sort of on the structure, function, and even um, editing an organo organism's genome. Um, a genome, for those that aren't familiar, is the complete set of genes or um, DNA that an organism has. Um, and this kind of contrasts with genetics, which really refers to more the study of the individual genes and how those genes are inherited from generation to generation. So for genomic applications in, in our program, we're still at the early stages of development. When I started three years ago working at NC State here, there were really no publicly available uh, genomic information out there for Fraser fir. So we're really starting from the ground up. Um, but since that time, we've started um, developing our and building our genomic resources. So that means we've started to sequence the genome of Fraser fir. We're using one of our premier trees in our breeding program to get a, a genome sequence developed. 
Uh, this work really started in summer 2022, and we actually have a completed draft that we're currently working to, to polish or improve. Um, we have a few more sequencing experiments in, in process right now to try to get that completed and hopefully have it published by the end of the year. Um, so then the next step, of course, is to develop more genomic resources, meaning that we're trying to explore the gene space or what are the genes that are actually being produced um, or, or um, expressed in the trees. And then finally, trying to use all that information to, to advance our breeding programs and also develop um, genetically improved trees through either CRISPR gene editing approaches or genetic modification. But to do that, we need gene targets, which is, of course, a, a long process. So we're working on it. The North Carolina Plant Sciences Initiative impacts lives through innovative applications and discoveries. By leveraging cutting-edge research and technology, we address global challenges related to agriculture, sustainability, and human health. I'm sure that the issues and, and um, challenges that growers face are, are probably partially dependent on where they're growing, the kind of particular um, species that they're growing, but can you talk more generally about what are the issues, for instance, here in North Carolina, in Western North Carolina, what kind of challenges do growers face uh, currently? We really need to think about it from perspective of the grower. What is it that they're dealing with on a daily basis? Why are they dealing with those issues? Where are those issues coming from? Um, there are th three major issues that the growers are dealing with. I mean, the biggest one out there probably is called uh, Phytophthora root rot, and this is caused by a, a a plant pathogen that was introduced from uh, another part of the world um, over 50 years ago to North Carolina. It eventually migrated to the western part of the state into the mountains. Um, and that pathogen is basically a, a terror for Fraser fir because Fraser fir has no natural resistance to it. So if the pathogen comes in contact with the tree, the tree is likely to die within a, a growing season. So you can imagine if you have a tree that you've invested seven or eight years into, uh, and then suddenly when it comes time to harvest, the tree dies, it's a really big loss um, economically and, and emotionally for the growers. So, um, but there are other issues as well. Insect pests, there's several insect pests. Um, for instance, in the 1950s, there was an insect that was introduced from Asia called the balsam woolly adelgid. Uh, this insect found its way to the natural stands of Fraser fir in the 1950s, and it actually wiped out about 95% of the, the population of Fraser fir in western North Carolina. So that's why I consider a lot of the work that we do conserving the germplasm to be really a conservation effort as well, because we, we've gone through and collected all the remaining germplasm, and we're using that in our breeding program. Um, there are other insect pests, elongate hemlock scale, which is a regulatory pest, meaning that it was a pest introduced from Asia, which is now in North Carolina, but other states don't have it. So if those states find that trees that are being brought into their state are infested, uh, they'll uh, destroy those trees on site at the cost of the, to the grower. Um, and then, of course, the another kind of interesting pest, we may not call it a pest, but a challenge, let's say, or are browsing deer in the wintertime when food is scarce. Uh, the fresh buds of Fraser fir trees and Christmas tree plantations offer a, a really good source of sustenance for the deer uh, that are browsing in winter months. And so they go around and chew the little buds off of trees, which cuts their growth back by a year or two. So. Yeah, so, so maybe can you hint at some of the kind of uh, remedies that you're looking at, particularly for this deer issue, which I know is not just confined to... <laughs> To, to Fraser fir, it's, 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 it's more general. We hear this from a lot of different growers, but uh, 
what, what are you guys thinking? A lot of the work we're doing is following up on some work I did during my, my uh, postdoc and then beyond that when I worked with the BC Ministry of Forest. But they also have, in a lot of forestry plantations, they also have issues with browsing deer in the winter months. And, and there's been a lot of work in conifers in particular, not a lot, but some work that basically points to the aroma chemistry of the trees being a, a source of of genetic variation as well as, as chemistries in the tree that provide kind of a natural defense against deer. Um, it's thought that the aroma is somewhat distasteful to deer, which causes them to, to move on once they're browsing. And so we're looking into that right now with Fraser fir. We're finding some pretty interesting variability within our individual families in relation to, to deer browse. Um, in particular, it seems like citrus types of of compounds, things that give it a more citrusy, lemony type of aroma, uh, seem to be something that the deer don't like. So, and so you started off by saying that aroma was one of the things that you know you fondly remember from, I guess, holidays past. So I'm going to ask you, I guess, in a different context about aromas now, which is like from a consumer perspective. I'm assuming the aroma plays into one of the things that does make one Christmas tree or holiday tree variety more appealing than another. Are those aspects you're also looking at in your program from a consumer perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So to to study the the, the deer browse issue in relation to the aroma, we we need to look at the other side of the equation, which is the consumer. So we don't want to be selecting trees based on their aroma um, for, for uh, an aroma that deer don't like, but also that translates to something that consumers don't like. So while we're doing this work, we're also working with um, with various uh, collaborators who are testing various um, aroma compounds on consumer panels. Um, and we're, we're finding that um, we've tested several different species of, of fir, common Christmas trees used around the country, but Fraser fir consistently comes up as being one of the most um, popular species and, and seems to always come out as the top uh, tree. And consumers typically say that this tree just smells like the holidays, like the Christmas season. So um, that's something that we're, we're really focusing in, our, focusing in on for our research right now. So, Are, are there other more consumer-focused trend traits or trends you're looking at as well? Yeah, so we're, we're, we, we take this sort of from the perspective of the consumer as well as the grower we want to we want to build in traits to our trees and select trees that have um, traits that will be desirable to the consumer and also will make management um, in the field for growers a little easier so of course aroma as we mentioned is it's really by the from the consumer perspective there was a survey um, that was conducted in 2022 and they uh, found during that survey that aroma was the number one reason that consumers purchase a real christmas tree so that was kind of followed distantly by other things like uh, the process of actually going out to the field was, I think, the second one. People like to get out and, and do that as a family to select their, their tree. People also get real trees for, for the kind of the tradition of it. And, and also the trees, just real trees tend to bring more joy is, is what some of the reasons that consumers um, cited for buying real trees. But one of the reasons that the number one reason that consumers choose not to buy a real tree is due to the messiness. So um, when a tree is harvested and brought inside, it's often a big stress on the tree. And some trees will typically, um, depending on the species, some trees will drop almost 100% of their needles. So these are not great trees to have. Um, Fraser fir, fortunately, I think one of the reasons that it's the number one Christmas tree in the U.S. is because it has this kind of innate ability to hold on to its needles. So 
after the tree has been harvested. So we've been, and my program has really looked into that trait, um, and we've found that uh, even within Fraser fir, we're already starting out with the best species to work with, but we can actually improve that even further using genetic approaches. So um, based on uh, some analyses and evaluation, we find that some of our families actually perform even better with lose. Um, so when those families and trees are cut, uh, they actually lose less than 1% of their trees post-harvest. So that's a another huge trait we're trying to improve for consumers to make it a more pleasant experience for them. So um, outside of those things that you're looking at now, can project forward, say, 20 years, what, what are other challenges you think or other approaches you think that Christmas tree growers might need to think about or might be faced with in, in the future? Well, I think the biggest challenge that the industry and all industries really, um, whether it's agricultural crops or uh, forest tree species, um, the big one's going to be climate change, of course. That's something that we're hearing over and over again, and we and there's a lot of initiatives and incentives out there to get uh, consumers and growers and, and people in general to start thinking about carbon sequestration and climate smart forestry practices or climate smart practices in general. So um, that's one thing that I'm really focused on in my program is, is um, how can we mitigate some of these future challenges that are on the horizon related to climate change. And so Fraser fir in particular, it's kind of a, it's a great species to work on, but it's also um, considered one of the canary in the coal mine species for some of the global uh, aspects related to climate change. Typically, Fraser fir only occurs at extremely high elevations in the, the southern range of the Appalachians, somewhere around 5,000 feet naturally. Um, and so that's because they've sort of migrated over time to the tops of the, the, the mountains in the western North Carolina, where it's cooler and uh, a little higher humidity, which is the type of environment they like. So as temperatures rise, it's starting to put stress on those natural populations. Um, and then when they're growing as Christmas trees, they're actually planted around 3,000 feet. So that the fact that we're planting them lower actually puts a higher amount of stress on the tree already naturally. So as temperatures continue to rise, uh, that typically will favor favor more things like pests and pathogens and put more stress on the trees. So if you have more pests and pathogens present and the trees are more stressed, it's kind of a perfect situation for for having challenges to work to, to face. And so that's something that we've seen a lot in forestry, um, other populations of trees, especially conifers, tend to get overwhelmed, um, especially as climates change. The reason I think we're seeing a lot more forest fires out, uh, for instance, this last summer, we saw fires on the east coast of various uh, boreal forests, and a lot of conifers were stressed in, the, in Canada. Um, because of that stress, there's, you know, the trees are standing there. They're somewhat dry because there hasn't been as much rain. A lightning strike will start a, a forest fire. The chemicals in those trees that we like for aroma also serve as a great um, kind of fire starter if they're very dry and not taken care of. So um, that's the challenge that, that we really need to, to be focusing on um, and making sure the trees are, are able to survive kind of um, into the future as, as climates start to, to get more harsh. Thank you, Justin. I think uh, a lot of people will have their um, eyes open, perhaps, at the level of thought and research that is going into producing, you know, the perfect conifer. <laughs> uh, hopefully, as people select their Christmas trees um, or decide if they want to have a real or artificial one, that they'll they'll realise a little bit of the work that's going on behind all of this. In the next pod, I hope to have one of those growers that you work with. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, he's available, but. Uh, until then, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah,
AgTech360 shares relevant news and breakthroughs with audiences across the globe. Stay connected and join the conversation by following NCPSI on social media.